in the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered, like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He goes on to say, we are t far too easily pleased. And so many of us have wrestled throughout this series on our desires. Is it wrong to serve God because it's going to benefit us in some sort? And what C.S. Lewis has to say and what God's theology has to say as well is that we don't have desires that are too strong. Our desires are too weak. And I'll go to show that to you as we go through this this morning. We have seen that we have desires, basic desires. Throughout the series, we have seen that we have three and eight desires. We have the desire for pleasure. We have the desire for power and we have the desire for possession. Now the Bible never ever says that any one of these desires are wrong in and of themselves. But what God does warn us about is those desires can be used to tempt us to do those things which God says are evil, and His definition is anything displeasing God is evil. Those things that are done contrary to what God says is right are wrong. He's saying that those desires, Satan can use those desires to motivate us toward wrongful behavior. On the other hand, we're finding out that God himself knows what our desires are, and he takes those same desires and he tries to motivate us toward right living or uh, lives that are pleasing to God. So we have the same desires, and we wrestle with those desires, and Paul said, why are the things that I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, and the things I do want to do are the things that I don't do, and, and oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this bond of sin? And he says, praise be to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you realize that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the desires that we have through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, we are told that we can be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 4, that we can be controlled by the Spirit of God, and that those desires, actually, we do have a strength in and of ourselves through the Spirit of God to control those desires, to do the things that are pleasing to God, as opposed to those things are, that are not pleasing to God. But Satan will use that, those same desires, to do things that are not pleasing God. God will use those through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life to control those desires, to do those things which are in opposition to it. So if you read Ephesians 4, read Galatians 5, you'll see that there's a contrast between the life and the flesh, biblical term, meaning that our desires that we will do as we're tempted, or the life and the Spirit, biblical word meaning God's desires that we will do if we're controlled by the Spirit of God. So you follow what I'm saying? This is the struggle that's going on. And what, and what God is so clear to point out is that there are dispensers of reward in this life. And we've looked at those, and we're going to look at them again this morning. And those dispensers are very simple. There are two dispensers of rewards. The first dispenser we took a look at last week is Satan himself. We read in Luke 4, verses 5 through 8, that the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the temptation that each one of us wrestle with every day is to do our will or God's will. Our way or God's way. Very simply, Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter when he rebuked him, get behind me, Satan. Not because Peter turned into Satan, 
but because Peter was influenced by Satan's temptation for him to try to stop the work of God. He said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you have your mind on man's interest and not that of God's. So we wrestle with it. You know what? There are a lot of us who are running around today thinking that we are blessed by God. Because we look at the results and we look at it and say, oh, gee, we must be blessed by God. Why? Because of the results. Do you realize that the Bible is very clear that a lot of times the results or what we call blessings are the reward of Satan for one thing in our life and one thing only, and that is compromise. Take a simple, stupid illustration because someone cheats on their income tax and they get a larger refund than it would be due them or they don't have to pay quite the tax consequence they can run around saying, gee, look how God has blessed us financially because we don't have to pay the taxes that I thought we'd have to pay and we got a larger refund than I thought that we deserved. And isn't God great and wonderful how He's just blessed us in this area? You follow? See, we carry that true to every area of our life. We can give God credit for blessing us when He's saying, hey, don't bring me in on this. I had nothing to do with it. You're, I'm not blessing you you are just being rewarded from the rewarder of this age who is Satan himself saying, if you just compromise, Chuck, I will give you temporary blessings. I will reward you on a temporary basis. Do you follow what I'm saying? So, don't run around saying, hey, God's blessing us, when if, in fact, what you're doing is compromise. Satan can and does use our desires to tempt us toward evil or wrongful living. Now, there's also a rewarder for those who are doing the right thing. And last week we saw as we went through it that we underlined a lot of the things, but I want you to notice something about it. In Luke 6 and 20 through 23 and the other passages, including verse 35, we read that looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The Bible is very clear, ladies and gentlemen, that there is one who dispenses rewards today. Not that God does not. But I would challenge you to look at the majority of the promises that are made in the Word of God do not have anything to do with today, but have a lot to do with our future state. All of, the, all of the promises, listen to me, all of the promises of Satan have to do with now. He promises you nothing for the future because he knows he has nothing to deliver. In the book of Hebrews we read that for the temporary pleasures of sin. See, Moses, because of the temporary pleasures of sin, did not want to enter into that. Because he looked for something that was far better. A foundation in the city laid by God. He set aside the temporary pleasures of sin. And let me tell you something. If you're sinning, 
It can be enjoyable. It can be fun. You know, I like that, you know, people say, oh, you know what, there's no way that a Christian can have any fun sinning. Well then, you know what, I mean, based on the background that I have, you just don't know how to sin right. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Really, if you think about it, don't ever let anybody tell you as a Christian that you can't have fun sinning. You can have a great time sinning. Now, it may bother you. You may be convicted about it. You, know, it may, you may wrestle with the guilt and things of that nature, whereas a non-believer wouldn't wrestle with that. The only thing they worry about is getting caught. They don't worry about an indwelling of the Holy Spirit telling them, gee, you know what, stop doing this. This isn't right. You know, and you struggle and you wrestle with it. But if you, you know, if you know how to sin right, you can have a good time. And the Bible doesn't deny that. Satan says, hey, I will give you temporary pleasures today. Don't ever, and see, so you know what happens? A lot of us enter into sin... And we find that it's, it's fun. So what do we think? I always understood that sin would be no fun as a Christian. So if I'm having a good time, guess what? One of two things, right? I'm either not a Christian, right? Isn't that one? Or what else? Or I'm not sinning. True? So we see what happens? We start to justify all kind of stuff. Because we, we all of a sudden, we start sinning and this is fun and this can't be sin because God says, we're not going to have any fun sinning anymore. And I'm having a blast. So the only thing I can conclude is, based on the Word of God, is I'm not sinning. Isn't that great? I am doing whatever you want to call it. I'm doing, if it's the finances, I'm doing um, accounting manipulations. Or what, I don't know, what makes you feel good? See, what, what words do you use? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Whatever it is, right? Um, creative financing. That's it. Or um, financial statement gymnastics. <laughs> whatever. I mean, whatever makes you feel good are the words that you'll start to use, but God calls it sin. And you, you're wrestling with it because you're thinking, I'm having too much fun, so this can't be sin. Oh, no. Let me just tell you something. You can have a great time sinning. God never says you won't. But what he's saying is that it's temporary pleasures of sin. See, what God has to offer is better, it's long-range, it's more rewarding, it's more satisfying, it brings contentment, it brings joy, it brings happiness. In it, there's no strife, there's no anxiety, there's no guilt. See it? But what Satan has to offer brings exactly the opposite, even though on a temporary basis you really think you're having a great time, but you're just being deceived. See? That's what this is all about. Today or tomorrow? What are you living for? So as we go through it. Now the problem is that God says that He is not unjust. God is not unjust. Many of us are running around thinking we're being ripped off for serving God. After all, Christians can have no fun. And you know what's sad is a lot of, I mean, I looking at some of you folks, um, not in here of course, but I'm thinking mainly by those who are listening by tape only. <laughs> is that it's no wonder people think there's not a whole lot of joy to being a Christian. You ever, I mean, Christians, I mean, some of the most miserable people I know are Christians. Have you found that true? It's, you know, it's really sad. Jesus said He came to bring us life and bring it abundantly. He's given us a glimpse of the future. We know what we can expect. He's given us purpose. He's given us hope. And you would think that we just lost all concept of that. 
And the world watches us as we're baptized in vinegar and wonders what's so attractive about coming to know Christ because you're just as miserable as I am. The only thing that, you, that I can rule out in your life that I haven't tried yet is, is quote, religion. What kind of testimony? I mean, especially think about these holidays and stuff. What kind of testimony is true in your life? This past week and in the next month to come, do you really have the joy of the Lord in your heart? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Or are you as miserable as everybody else? What a terrible time to lose that testimony. It's the greatest time in the world that God can shine that light in a dark situation and we could be salt. Man, think about it and I'll challenge you on that. But see, a lot of us are running around thinking God's ripped us off because we're seeing people enjoy life today. We're not enjoying it because we're looking forward to the future and we're thinking it's not worth serving God because God doesn't pay off handsomely like Satan does. See, man, I look around, people are enjoying life, they're having a good time, it seems like they're ripping people off, they're having a great time. But you know what God says? God is not unjust. Hebrews 6.10 He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and you continue to help them. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. It's never in vain. You getting tired of serving God? You think He's not going to pay off? You think it would be better just to cash it all in and go for the temporary pleasures? Let me just tell you something. God says be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil, your, your effort, your work is not in vain. Don't give up. We need to be able to come together as a group of believers who believe the same thing and encourage one another. Some of the greatest discouragement I get are from people, the, the men and women of God who tell you, don't do it, don't keep going, don't, you know. It's like, and, and you know it's true too. You can handle it from everybody else in the world, but when you, when you hear from a brother or sister in the Lord who tells you, what are you doing that for? Well, that's not going to work. Don't try that. They've tried that before. That's not going to work. What are you doing that for? What do you mean God's giving you a burden in that area? What's wrong with you? Don't you see? Other people have tried it. Nothing's worked. I mean, and those are the kind of things that you hear from the, 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 the men and women of God. No wonder we're all discouraged. We need to build each other up. Man, we get together here and say, hey, you know what? How was the battle for you this week? Well, I got hit a couple times. Well, good. Let me patch you up and send you on back there. That's what we need to be doing. We don't do it. Now the question is, what's in it for us? Oh, I hate that. It sounds so bad. Does that bother you? What's in it for me? Oh, I know some of you just hate that. I know it. And I, I'm glad. <laughs> I don't care. Because you've got preconceptions. It's like, you know what? We need to get a good glimpse of heaven this morning. When was the last time you took a good glimpse at heaven? We'll find out. I want to ask you a couple of questions. But I, want to, I just want to read this one thing to you. Listen to this. The biblical doctrine of heaven has never received from a theological standpoint the consideration that theologians have given to the doctrine of hell and eternal punishment. Shedd, for example, assigned two pages in his dogmatic theology to heaven and 87 pages to eternal punishment. Dr. Neighbor, in his quite exhaustive work, The Nature and Destiny of Man, gives no consideration to the matter of heaven except for a regrettable statement, quote, it is unwise for Christians to claim any knowledge of the furniture of heaven, unquote. Professor John Bally asks this question, how many preachers during these last 25 years have dwelt on the joys of the heavenly rest with anything like the old ardent love and impatient longing or have spoken of the world that now is as a place of sojourn, sojourn or pilgrimage. 
The rapid changes in Western civilization have subjectized and secularized heaven. In the 19th century, the concept grew increasingly vague with wide scope and meaning. Eschatology, which is the study of future things, gathered up the apparatus of celestial being, gave much assurance and comfort, but lacked reality. The 20th century has been ever more devastating to the idea of heaven. The word heaven has been appropriated for many purposes and used in connection with dreams, loves, lyrics, and fiction until now it has been deprived of meaning for much of society. And the question that Dave Hunt mentions in his book and as he titled it, it's called Whatever Happened to Heaven? Whatever Happened to Heaven? See, this whole subject of rewards goes flat when we start talking about heaven. I believe that just as a glimpse of hell is important for us to have a burden for the people around us. If we could just smell it, if we can just hear the sounds of it, and Jesus gave us a glimpse of that in Luke 16, if we can just see the agony and the torment and the weeping and the misery, I believe that that glimpse gives us a burden for people like we need to have around us. But on the other hand, I also believe that a glimpse of heaven is what we need sometimes to give us a shot in the arm, to keep us moving in the right direction. Just a little glimpse of heaven. Just unfold it a little bit, God, so I can see it. Because I'm down, I'm discouraged, I'm beaten, I'm frustrated. But you just give me a glimpse of heaven, man, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep on going. How about you? You need a glimpse of heaven? Getting a little tired? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Get a little glimpse of heaven. Now, heaven is a subject that I'm convinced, if we went around the room and I asked you what you thought heaven was going to be like, what do you, I mean, seriously, let's, let's, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Streets of gold. I can handle that. Okay, I can kind of strut on down a street of gold. I'd like to do that. That'd be kind of nice. You can make it into a ring or something, take a little piece of it off of there. Yeah, whatever. What else? Streets of gold. What's heaven going to be like? Renewed fellowship. Okay. Having a tough time with some people? No, not at all. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, with, the, with uh, relatives, friends, loved ones that have gone before us. Get to see them again. I know some of you, that's bad news. What? No, just go, oh, come on, loosen up. Man, you know what? You guys are just too uptight this morning. Too much turkey, huh? All stuff sitting here like, can't eat anymore, but I'll have some dessert. <laughs> what? Constantly being in the glory of God, just His presence. Just being in the presence of God, man. The glory of God, just basking in that sunshine, so to speak. Man, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? What do you see? What do you picture heaven? I asked my daughter yesterday. She said, like teenager, you know what happens like when you're a teenager. I know it happened to me. It's like, try to get them out of bed. Heaven is going to be where you can sleep in all you want. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is great. Heaven, I'd sleep in all that I want. Oh, okay, that's good. How about you? What's heaven? Perfect weather. Perfect weather. <laughs> yeah, hey, what's so fun? I mean, I'll tell you what, there's some people that I know I'll send these tapes to back east. It's freezing cold right now, you know. It's like, and it's real warm here, by the way, as I look out into the f distance there. It's really nice here. You can come to visit. Please don't move here. we got too many people already. <laughs> but uh, perfect weather. Man, it's beautiful. It's going to be nice. Some of you people are great. You look at me like, is this guy losing his marbles or what? I like that, though. What? I think that uh, the things that 
now won't be, I mean, we're going to enjoy things that, that happen every day that we don't see as being enjoyable. I mean, there's things that irritate us day in and day out that won't irritate us then. Yeah, you know what it is. There'll be no giving or taking of marriage in heaven. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Flo, seriously, he left that up here. He said, when I say this, just say this one verse right here. I don't know why. But. Okay, the things that irritate you today won't irritate you there. Glenna. No more heartaches and tears. Yeah, no more heartache, no more tears, no more pain. A new body. Oh, this is great. Our children will be perfect. Our children will be perfect. Oh, this is going to be great. Can you picture it? And, our, and, the, and they're saying, and the parents will be too. Come on. Right. So, okay. Man, I mean, yeah. What? And all the old people will be young again. All right. And all the old people will be young again. This is going to be great. And then you'll be just as stupid as all us young people all over. And then what? We lost the advantage there. Okay, it's going to be great. I mean, if you can think about it, just, it's going to be unbelievable. Which always is a problem for people when I say, I say, God is unbelievable. Then why do you believe Him? But you know what I mean. It's going to be unbelievable. You know what? Paul got a glimpse of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You see that? Let's start with verse 1. It says, Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast... But on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For I do not wish to boast. I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, and with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He got caught up into the third heaven. The Bible, as it uses the word heaven, refers to three le levels of heaven. There's the first level that we see, the atmosphere around us where the birds fly, so to speak, the air that we breathe. The second level the Bible talks about is that of the stars. For the heavens declare, declare thy handiwork, O God. The heavens, as we look at the stars and we look at the planets and we look at all around us in the solar system, it's the second heaven. But as the Bible refers to the third heaven, as always referring to being in the presence of God Himself. And so Paul was caught up into the presence of God Himself. He was in this third heaven. He was before God. And you want to know what kept him going? What do you think kept him going? Look at this conclusion in verse 10. Therefore, why? What for? 
You look at it and you say, why is it there for? That's what you need to look at. Why is he now content with weaknesses? Why is he content with insults and distresses and persecution and difficulties? What motivates him to go through all of the garbage that we go through as believers in Christ? What motivated him? Pardon me? Christ. And a glimpse of his glory. You follow that? See, you and I can only get to that point where we can say, hey, you know what? I'm content in persecution. I'm content in hardships. I'm content in not having the day for what lies ahead because I got to see it. God showed it to me. And it's so much better than anything that it's in words inexpressible. I can't even begin to express it. It is so good. It is so good that words would just belittle it. And so he's content with all the difficulties and all the problems in his life because he got a glimpse of heaven. Do you follow that? And you know why he was, I believe, buffeted in the flesh or that God um, held him back from being able to boast? Because he realized what you and I need to realize. And that is, you know what? We own a piece of that. Do you realize we're joint heirs with Christ in heaven? We are sons of God through adoption, we cry, Father, Daddy. What our father owns, what our dad owns, we own too. Do you follow that? And so as he was there before the glory of God and he saw all that he saw, he realized that, guess what? He owned it too. It was his. And it was his because God has given it to us as sons of his. Do you realize everything in heaven, you own a part of it? And it, think about it. What in the world would you trade today for what you can get a glimpse of heaven? What would you take? What would you trade and say, no, I don't want that. I want this. I want this what I have now. I want to compromise in this area now because I don't really think all that's great as it's made out to be. Do you ever get the feeling that heaven's going to be a letdown? Turn to First Peter for a second. You ever think heaven's going to be let down? 1 Peter chapter 3. Man, there's a lot of people that run around like, oh, heaven's going to be let down. You know, I'm kind of bummed. I don't really... You know what it is? It's because many of us would rather go to heaven than go to hell. Got it? And it's kind of like the better of two evils. Earth is great. Life is good. I'm not really looking forward to heaven. I think heaven's going to be kind of a letdown. But I know hell's pretty bad. And I'd rather not go to hell, so I guess I'm going to go to heaven. And if we we're all honest with each other, our view of heaven is kind of like, you know, like a choir director's vision of heaven. You know what I mean? Angels singing, floating. Um, what are those things? Oh, you can say, I'm really into this. Harps, yeah, that's it. Harps, you know, that's like a choir director's vision of heaven. I'm sorry, I'm not a choir director. It does nothing for me. And if that was what heaven was like, then I can understand why people say, well, it's going to be it's better than hell, so I'll go there and I'll put up with it. And if I have to, I'll just mouth the songs. I'm really not going to be singing them. First <laughs> Peter chapter 1. Chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 3. Kind of got it confused. Okay, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, 
not fade away and reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Are you ready for that? Your inheritance. The word inheritance is the same word that was often used of the children of Israel going into the promised land. The same word. God set aside this land for them. He promised them an inheritance and we know that it came true based on the word of God. Now we also know that this same inheritance, the same concept is used of us. It's reserved for you in heaven. It's the same word that means I've set this aside for you just as I set aside the promised land for my people Israel. They received it. I've set this aside for you. You will receive it. You follow me? It's reserved for you. It's not going to fade away. It's not going away. It's going to be there when you get there. So, you know, hang in there. Fight the good fight. It's there. It's not going to disappear. It's not going to exhaust itself. And it says it will not fade away. The word literally means, the groups of those words literally mean it will not disappoint you. God is saying, heaven will not be a letdown, folks. Regardless of what you may believe or what you feel as far as what the scene in heaven is going to be like, it will not disappoint you. God knows it. He knows us. He's made us. He knows what makes us tick. And He's saying to you and I, Chuck, whenever you get down and you think heaven's not going to be that great, just remember what I've told you. It will not disappoint you. It's going to be better than anything you can ever imagine. So now the question is, and sometime when you get a chance, read Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 20 and chapter 21 and 22. Not today, not now. But when you get a chance, just to read about it. Now the question is, what's in heaven? You ready? Here we go. Let's go through it real quick. This is what's in heaven. A glimpse of heaven for all of you who would like to see what heaven's like. Psalm 1611, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The presence of pleasure is all throughout heaven. Have you ever experienced something that was pleasurable? Let me just tell you something. You will never, ever experience anything like what God says pleasure is all about. You follow me? And pleasures are at His right hand. God Himself is the source of all of our pleasure. The word pleasure means delight. It's used interchangeably all throughout the Bible. That it's a delight. That it's pleasure. It's what's right. It's what's good. There's no guilt in it. There's nothing wrong with it. It is good stuff. God Himself is the source of all pleasure. Just as 1 John says, God Himself is the source of all love. It shouldn't surprise us that God Himself would be the source of all that will be pleasurable to us. Do you follow what I'm saying? There is going to be pleasure in heaven. Which is good, because guess what? We have a desire, an innate desire for pleasure. It's nice to know that there are going to be pleasures in heaven. You know what else is going to be in heaven? There's going to be power in heaven. In fact, we even read in 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, that we are protected, our salvation is protected by the power of God. Somehow or another, we've relegated God, God into some little wimp. Satan has all the power, God has no power anymore. And God's just kind of kicking his feet, shucking around, thinking, oh boy, I sure hope that this all works out. When we've got to realize that all power emanates from God. Romans chapter 13 says that all authority that's been established, all those who are in power has been established by whom? By God Himself. 
We read that God raises up a king and he takes him down. He exalts another and he takes that one down and he puts up another. All power emanates from God. God is the source of all power. God is the source of all love. God is the source of all pleasure. God is the source of all power. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said in Matthew 28. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. God Himself is the source of all power. And guess what? There will be no power shortage in heaven. There will be no power shortage in heaven. In fact, Revelation 21 tells us that there will be no need for sunshine. There will be no need for light because the glory of God, the power of God, will illuminate the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Wow! I'd like to tap into that. See, we need to tap into the love of God. We need to tap into the pleasures that God has to offer. And we need to tap into the power that God has to offer. But you know what? This one will throw you through a loop. I mean, there's like things in heaven. There's like stuff in heaven. I don't know if there's like those mini storage places or anything, but, <laughs> but no need for it, I guess. But there's stuff there. First Chronicles 29, 11 and 12, For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Haggai 2.8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. God challenged Job and said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you when I created all that I created? Everything comes from God. God is the source of all. We went through a finance series and the very foundation of getting out of debt or of, of getting out of financial bondage all starts with understanding this one simple fact and that is God owns it all. God owns it all. Everything that you have comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? Everything comes from God. God owns all the stuff. And you know what? There's going to be a ton of stuff in heaven. It all comes from God. Now the question is, how do you accumulate all this stuff? How do you accumulate rewards in heaven? Okay, you ready? Jot these down quick. We've got three minutes. But that's all right, don't get all bent out of shape and stuff because next week uh, we're going to talk about how to earn God's reward. But here's how you accumulate pleasure in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You want to accumulate and experience pleasure in heaven? He says that right now here on earth, I ask you to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day you and I will be challenged by wanting to please ourselves or please God. Please yourself, temporary pleasures. Please God, pleasures that will go on for eternity. Pleasures that will never run out. Pleasures that are inexhaustible. So the choice is yours. Think about it now. You don't have to be an Einstein to follow through with this logic. Do you want it now on a temporary basis or do you want it later and it'll last forever? Not, was that too fast? Do you want it now or do you want it later? Do you want power now or do you want power in heaven? Do you want power on the short term or do you want power forever? Both. Not an option. Matthew 20. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, and it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. 
Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want power? You want power Satan's way? Temporary? Scratch, claw, fight, kick. Who cares how many bodies you step over? You can have it. It'll be temporary. And you know what? You can have it. It's not going to last. Or do you want it my way? Be a servant of all. If God puts you in a position of authority, serve those who God has placed underneath you. And you will have power forever with God in eternity. And the last one is this. You want possessions? You want things in heaven? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew 6. Luke 12, we read, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for, the, for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Man, I'll tell you what. You see the contrast? Satan says, have it now. Enjoy it now. It's only temporary. He never promises you anything long term. But God himself says, you know what? The choice is yours. You can have it now or you can have it later. If you do it my way, you will have pleasures that will last for eternity. You will have power that you've never experienced before on this earth and it will last forever. Or you can have possessions and we're all into things, but guess what? God's things never run out. They are inexhaustible. Can you imagine? Think of all the things that you have and how quickly we go through them. That's why we need newer and more improved things because the old things will wear out. Just look around you. Even the bodies that we have, God has given to us as evidence of the fact that this life is not forever. See, He's given us evidence all around us that we are in a decaying state. And everything that we could want here on earth isn't going to last. But the things that He promises, the glimpse that He gives us of heaven, are for eternity. They are forever. They will never wear out. What are we hanging on to? What do we think is so much more important than laying hold of that which is to come? Man, you know what? If that doesn't motivate you to go and to keep on keeping on, then nothing will and you'll continue to sell out for temporary pleasures. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that your word is so true, that you've given us a glimpse of heaven. God, we just thank you what Paul had seen in the inexpressible vision that he had, that just words didn't do it justice. We just thank you that you've reserved that for us, that you've protected it by your power through faith, that you've protected our salvation in the same way. God, help us to stop trading out by enjoying the temporary pleasures of today for that which you offer is so much better in the future. God, help us to stop just living for today. Father, we just ask for the strength. We know that if we put our faith and trust in Christ, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to indwell in us, to empower us, to enable us to be able to overcome those desires. We can put to rest those desires. God, help us to be continually be filled by your Spirit, to be controlled by Him in the areas that we struggle with. Lord, we just ask that you'll give us renewed strength to lay those areas aside and to press on for that which is much better and is eternal. God, we just thank you and we just praise you in Christ's name for the results. Amen.